your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian goes under center this time. Mills, the deep back. Turn and toss it to Mills off the left side. He's to the 10. Stiff arms a man. Five dives. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Diedrich Mills finds the end zone from 14 yards out. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are Thursday night, Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports. I want to thank you so much for spending some of your night with us. What a beautiful day outside. Heard several meteorologists today say it's a top 10 weather day. Hard to argue. It's gorgeous. Finally, the winds have subsided. Hope you had a chance to get out and enjoy some of this. I know our friends out in the western part of the state got up in the mid and upper 80s today. Summertime feel out there. Got a big hour coming up. We're going to talk with Mitch Sherman of The Athletic here in a couple of minutes. The Athletic did a major survey of Husker fans. Over 600 Husker fans took part in a survey. And some of the results pretty interesting about optimism about where the program is going um they graded out the head coach the athletic director so we'll get mitch's take on what that survey might mean coming up in just a few minutes last night on the show we did have university of nebraska president ted carter he talked about opening school in the fall which by all accounts is the first step to uh, get sports going again at the collegiate level then today the president of the University of Iowa, Bruce Harold, uh, met with their board of regents today, and then they took questions afterwards. And he had some interesting things to say about what's moving forward. They are, like Nebraska, planning on having their campus opened up again for fall, for the fall semester. He uh, said, quote, our plan of record in the Big Ten is to get back to what we, where we need about six to eight weeks of good practice to keep our players safe. Once again, I'm sure our coaches would love a lot more time than this to make them winners, but the key issue here is safety. So we need six to eight weeks. Our expectation, once the moratorium of team activities is lifted by the league around June 1st, we're going to get student-athletes back on campus and do what we normally do. We miss spring practice, and I guess to answer your question, if we got the worst of the worst, we would let the players play with no fans. I don't know about that. But right now, June 1st is the day we're going to get back to the practice, and here we go. Well, there you go. Tomorrow's May 1st, so you're hearing from a university president saying, in a month, on June 1st, we're flipping the switch. We're bringing our student-athletes back and getting after it as long as we think we've got this virus under control by the end of May. And he's, he alluded to earlier in the quote that they're being told by their medical experts that's what they think is going to happen. So this week alone, we've heard from Ted Carter of Nebraska, who really was the first one to jump out and do this, Purdue University, now Iowa University. Michigan has also fallen in line on this. I can't be, do, do anything but be encouraged by this, Ben, to hear more and more university leaders, one, say that their plan is to fully have those campuses open by fall, but, but uh, President Harold at Iowa even went a step further talking about a June 1st return of student-athletes on the campus to start preparations for an upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's this is all trending in the right direction. Um, the, the big worry with this whole coronavirus was uh, the unknown, the uncertainty, the length of, uh, the length of time. Um, you know, all of the, the things that, that we did not know is what made this um, worrisome. And, and there are still things that uh, need to be ironed out and, and be figured out. But, you know, the, the main figureheads are, 
are you can tell those conversations are starting to happen, which which is probably the first step. So once we seem to to get some of these things under control, um, you know, away from sports and just from a livelihood standpoint, I feel um, you know I feel like the more those conversations can be had and then executed. So um, it's nice to hear you know deadlines so to speak or you know dates that we're trying to approach to to get things back underway but you know i think to a certain extent there's still some unknowns um and and what what the best course of action may be and i i know there are going to be some institutions that are much more uh passive than some of the ones that we've heard in the last few days which is fine there's no right or wrong answer but um just to have those dates in mind and to have you know, those conversations already and a target date is a good thing. Well, we know from our conversations with Bill Moose a week ago on his monthly radio show that Big Ten executives, administrative people are talking virtually every day. So they are all updating each other. They did put together that coronavirus commission, which has a someone from UNMC as a, a, a strong member of that board as well. So they're, they're, they're talking on a daily basis about what their plan is to move ahead. Another very positive step for the sports world, NASCAR announced today they're, they're starting their first race May 17th. That's two weeks from Sunday. They're going to have their first race. No fans. They're going to keep the gates closed, but they're going to have their first event. It'll be on TV. It'll get going. I think we're going to start hearing more and more from MLB, the NBA, and the NHL in the coming weeks. Uh, we're starting to hear more and more from Major League Baseball. when We talked to Lane about it last night on that segment. So we'll keep you posted on all of that. But to me, good signs being pointed to one. The medical experts are, are comfortable enough to tell these university leaders, we think we got this thing sort of under control. You should be okay to get your students back on campus in the fall. And now it starts to weave itself into that athletics as well wanted to bring up tom fornelli from cbs sports who came out yesterday with record projections from everybody in the big 10 and heck why not we do this every year anyway right you get the old schedule out and you go okay that's gonna be a win this is gonna be a loss it's gonna be a win it's gonna be a loss here's how he has nebraska projected ben he's one of the college football writers for cbssports.com he says the huskers will open the season against purdue with a victory they'll beat central michigan in week two beat the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State week three, and beat Cincinnati in week four. Four straight home games is what the current schedule has for Husker football. So Nebraska 4-0 as they make their way through the first third of the college football season. Has their first loss being week five when they travel to Northwestern, um, but then has them coming back and beating Illinois in week six, which would put them at 5-1. and one. Uh, And that would take them into their bye week at 5-1. and one. Feel good about those? I'd love uh, it if North- that happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would definitely take that, especially opening the season with a victory against Purdue. Um, you know, I think all these projections can be hinged, Greg, on on that game because you know we've seen games early in Nebraska's seasons affect how the rest of the year goes, and and if Nebraska is unable to to win that one. Um, the projections are, are probably in a tailspin. So the fact that, you know, Nebraska is able to get that one, according to um, Fornelli, that, that's great. And I think could set the stage for what you're talking about now with a 5-1 and one record, which is, you know, 
best almost best case scenario at that point considering what you're about to talk about yeah and, and as we all know the back half of the schedule is so weighted down so here's how he has the back half of the schedule going opening the second half of the season after the bye week with a loss at Rutgers I don't know that I see that happening at all now maybe maybe he feels like all right I kind of gave some quasi 50 50 games in the first half to Nebraska I gotta I gotta get one back from them but I don't know that I'd put Rutgers in a 50-50 category. I think Nebraska would be a pretty big favorite in that game. But that's how he has Nebraska starting the second half of the season. Then he has them beating Penn State. So maybe that's a trade-off there. Maybe, maybe he's got those backwards. But he has a win over Penn State, going to the horseshoe and getting beat by Ohio State, going to Iowa, losing to the Hawkeyes, um, at Wisconsin, a loss, and then finishing the season with the Gophers at home and getting a win Thus, Nebraska finishing seven and five, four and five in the league. So, you know, not bad. That's probably not far off from where a lot of people think Nebraska is going to be. We talked about some over unders on this show a few weeks ago, and that's kind of where a lot of people have Nebraska at six and a half. Mark, he's got them at seven and five and four and five in the league. Again, I could certainly make an argument about the Penn State, the Penn State and Rutgers games. Boy, you. you You'd be hard pressed to find to agree with him on the the results of those. I would, if you if you tell me we're going to beat Penn State, I'd sure love that though. Yeah, it, I have the same um, probably takeaway as a lot of people do that I've seen already. It's a unique path to get to seven and five. I don't know that you just go up and down and expect uh, expect those things to follow the way that that he says. I'd be interested to to know more of you know his kind of philosophy. And how he how he decides whether it's you know data based or gut feel or you know own personal research, whatever it is. Um, well, you 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 would be interested. And I was on one of our affiliates earlier today up in Omaha saying, and I was asked that same question, and and, and it's a question that's that's interesting. Is how do you think our fans would react with a loss to Rutgers and then a victory over over Penn State? I mean. It's almost like as good as you feel about the victory over what we're assuming is going to be a top 15 team is probably as crummy as you're going to feel losing to a Rutgers team that he has projected at three and nine. And, you know, those other two wins that that Rutgers gets are probably becoming uh, before the month of October. So that that would be a swing of emotions in a couple of weeks. But I think most fans would take seven and five, uh, especially if that means beating Penn State and finishing the year with a win over Minnesota. Well, it'll be interesting. He projects uh, both Minnesota and Wisconsin going 6-3 and three in the league. Badgers getting the tiebreaker because they win the head-to-head matchup. Iowa at 5-4 and four, and then Northwestern, Nebraska both at 4-5. and five. Out of the east, pretty much as you could expect, he's got Ohio State going 8-1 and one in conference play. Michigan 7-2, and two, Penn State 7-2. and two. Indiana 5-4 and four with an 8-win season again for Tom Allen. Maryland just two and seven in the conference, and Rutgers one and eight in league play. So that's one man's opinion, kind of going through the schedule of the league and putting that up. Uh, but he does say in his analysis of Nebraska, he said, "I've made a promise to myself that I intend to keep. I'm not predicting that Nebraska's back until Nebraska's back, but I do see them getting to a bowl game for the first time since 2016." Fair comment for Nebraska there. Delighted to welcome on board from the Athletic, Mitch Sherman. Hello, Mitch. How you doing? Are your family okay? Yeah, everything's good. How are you, Greg? Fantastic. Glad the better weather's here. Now just kind of hoping for some 
some of the sports world to start to open back up and put this virus behind us. Wanted to have you on tonight because you had a fascinating piece up on The Athletic earlier this week where you reached out and surveyed some Husker fans. Let us know what this was all about. Yeah, um, thanks for having me on. We have been doing this kind of thing during the coronavirus shutdown across all of our different verticals uh, with Major League Baseball teams, NBA teams, and, and, and on down the line. And I sat on the sidelines for a few weeks. I wanted to see what kind of questions were resonating with fans. And I, so I stole a few things from the Kansas City Royals survey that uh, my uh, bud Alex Lewis did, Alex Lewis did, and uh, the same with Ohio State and Ari Wasserman, and put together 30 questions for Nebraska fans to answer last week about all different parts of the program. You know, some are serious about uh, fans' feelings on the state of, uh, of Husker football and the job that Scott Frost and his coaches have done developing talent and recruiting talent, uh, the importance of the sellout streak, the importance uh, for the future of the of the new football facility. And we had some fun with questions like your favorite Husker of all time and uh, your favorite food at Memorial Stadium. So pretty enlightening, um, interesting results, surprised by a few things. And a lot of it went, I think, according to the way I expected. Let's dive into what surprised you. Give me a couple of examples of things that you go, huh? I didn't really anticipate that response from the folks. Sure. the, The thing that maybe surprised me the most was the question I asked about the three returning quarterbacks, um, you know, maybe I was prophetic in not including Noah Vedral among the three choices, but, you know, he would have been just as good of an option as the other guys. I did include uh, McCaffrey, Martinez, and Smothers in, in any order and said which of these three will end up with the most wins behind his name at the end of, at, of his Nebraska career. And I kind of thought with Martinez having been a two-year starter, with just nine wins, uh, but a two-year starter nonetheless, and in the driver's seat to start for a third year, that he would probably take the uh, you know take the take the vote. In fact, I I would have probably voted for him, but it was it was McCaffrey who um, it was a close vote, but McCaffrey uh, came in first, followed by by Smothers, and then right behind them Martinez. So I guess that means that at least of the Nebraska fans who filled out this survey, they either think that. Uh, Luke McCaffrey is going to win 23 or 24 games in two years as a starter, or he's going to unseat Adrian at some point during the next two years. Well, where where did you gauge the the folks' support of Scott Frost? I mean, you had a couple questions in there. I know they're related to mm-hmm. expectations. What what kind of feedback did you get in that area? Um, support and the expectations long term. I, I got a sense, or I you know the the results indicated that. Nebraska fans remain very confident in what Scott Frost is going to bring to this program by the t- before the time that, that he has done at Nebraska. We asked the question, will Nebraska win a national championship under Scott Frost? And this was at the end of a series of questions. There, there was, how many wins do you expect in the 2020 season? Will Nebraska win the Big Ten West in the next three years? Will Nebraska win the Big Ten Conference in the next five years? Will Nebraska qualify for the college football playoff? before it expands, presumably in 2026? And then will Nebraska win a national championship under Scott Frost? And we had about 50% who said that Nebraska would win a national championship under Scott Frost. So, um, you know, an optimistic fan base for sure. But, you know, when it's the Nebraska program, and I I think Nebraska fans expect Scott Frost to be in that seat for a long time, um, 
not an entirely unexpected result. I, I thought we would see optimism over the long term, and, and certainly that that indicates it. A little less optimistic about Nebraska fans making the college football playoff in the next five or six years. I believe it was uh, it was down under 20% on that. Again, busy with Mitch Sherman of The Athletic here on Sports Honor. They just recently did a survey of about 600 Husker fans about thoughts about the program, expectations moving forward. A year ago at this time, Mitch, everybody was picking Nebraska to win the West. Every magazine that came out, all the national prognosticators were. I don't know that a lot of people locally were. I think most people knew Nebraska still had warts to work through. What about expectations for folks? I think I saw in your thing, most people think six to seven wins is probably pretty realistic for this year. That that seems like a pretty good number and a good feel for the program. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that has to do for sure with the schedule. Um, it's not necessarily that the talent, uh, you know, has failed to rise to a level that could produce more than seven wins. But you look at that schedule for 2020, and, I, and I'm sure in this extra long off season, Greg, you've spent plenty of time going over what what's on tap for Nebraska, not just in the final five games, which is a crazy, a crazy stretch of murderers row at the end of the season. But um, I, I think the beginning portion of the schedule is, is deceptively strong. If you'd have looked at it a year ago and said, okay, uh, they're going to play Cincinnati. They're going to play central Michigan. Um, you know, Purdue is coming into Memorial stadium. Those would all be things where you, you could probably chalk those up as expected victories, but um not the case when Cincinnati and Central Michigan are coming off of years where they played for conference championships and Purdue beat Nebraska um, with the with the you know a handicapped offense of its own um, in West Lafayette last year. There isn't a there isn't a uh, you know a gimme there. I wouldn't even say the South Dakota State is a gimme. I'm not I'm not trying to uh, you know be, be pessimistic here, but that's a school that's going to put up a fight and going to have kids from the state of Nebraska who are anxious and it's the opportunity of a lifetime to come into Memorial Stadium and play in that game. Certainly, I wouldn't expect Nebraska to lose, but, um, you know, you don't just walk out there and chalk up the victory. So there's nothing on that early season schedule that's going to come easy for Nebraska or very little. And then the second half of the year is, is, is just a um, – it's, it's really difficult. So I think that factors heavily into what fans and what media, when, when it comes time for the media to make those picks in the summer, uh, expect from this 2020 team. Yeah, great point there. You, one of the survey questions you asked was, describe the state of the program. What kind of responses did you get back? Well, you know, I went through 500-plus of them. That was the one opportunity where I left the, the, the space for fans to fill out a little bit longer. And I got paragraphs on top of paragraphs from <laughs> some fans, and then others it was, uh, you know, a word here and a word there. And I, I felt, Greg, like it was, it was a split. I felt like there were there were people who were obviously disappointed, uh, you know, ranging toward upset and despondent with three losing seasons in a row, four out of five. And then I felt like there were people who are choosing to look at that in, as a glass half full, um, you know, from a glass half full, full perspective and, you know, see Nebraska as a program that is, um, you know, in this for the long haul and not out to, to find a quick fix and is building things through recruiting and is building some continuity with this coaching staff and, you know, is is gaining momentum despite what you see in the win total last year. I think if Nebraska, um, you know, tweaks a few things uh, along the road in, in 2019, you know, perhaps a win at Colorado or just a play at the end of that game or two goes differently and the Huskers are in the win column that day, 
that, you know, we're looking at, at back at that season a lot differently because of the way that not just it, it impacts the record from that week two game, but the way that it may impact some other games down the road too. And, you know, really in the off season, it would be a similar team. It would be mainly the same players, but I think the level of overall optimism around the program would be a lot different when perhaps it, it doesn't need to be, perhaps Nebraska can still build on 2019 in the way that it wants to, even after a five and seven record. How do the folks feel about the, the current athletic director? I know that was one of your questions as well. He got really high marks, Bill Moose did. And, you know, I, I think people still view um, the, all of the hires that he's made in, in, in the major sports, the most visible hires, the hires of Frost, Hoiberg, and, and Will Bolt, as about as good as you can get in, in what Nebraska was searching for, what Nebraska needed, what the expectations and hopes of fans were as they went out to replace three prominent coaches in, in a very short period of time. I think that – uh, earned high marks for Bill Moose and the planning and execution of getting ready to build this $155 million football facility uh, also is a feather in, in his cap. It's something that he was able to pull off. I think fans recognize that it's the most ambitious building project in the history of the athletic department. So, um, you know, even in this time right now where, there's questions about just about almost everything. Uh, Bill Moose is is uh, is still is still um, you know receiving very good grades from Nebraska fans. Look good here again. Mitch Sherman with us from the Athletic here on Sports Island. You even dipped your toe into the beer sales topic as well. What what kind of feedback did the folks give you on that? I think it was 62 percent. Greg who said that Nebraska should sell beer at Memorial Ooh. Stadium. <laughs> So I don't know that their their voice is going to matter all that much to Bill Moose and the people who make decisions about that. You know, I think it's something that is inevitable at some point, not inevitable this year or next year or the year after, but somewhere down the road, you know, Nebraska will probably have to make the concession to, to go in, in that, in that direction, just from the standpoint of appealing to fans in a way that, is different. Um, there are more and more options and continue to be additional options to, to, to be entertained and watch games when you're not inside Memorial stadium on a Saturday, Nebraska is, is likely to be one of the last holdouts to go in that direction. But I think eventually uh, they'll get there and I, I think they'll have fairly widespread support from, from fans. You know, maybe it wasn't um, a, maybe, maybe our, Athletic subscribership is not entirely a cross-section of the 90,000 who were there at Memorial Stadium on a Saturday. Um, we may trend younger. We may trend more progressive. I'm not sure. But but um, nonetheless, the subscribers who filled out the survey are in favor of beer sales. Well, it's a fascinating survey. You did a great job putting together the questions, and I just love going through some of the results from some of the people, and I've been a subscriber for The Athletic for a while, just really enjoying I know it's a little slow right now with everything shut down, but when it gets cranked up again, nothing better than The Athletic. Uh, anything, is there, is there a special going right now? What, what get, how do people get signed up for The Athletic? Yeah, even now is a good time, and, and during this, this uh, slowdown in sports, you know, we're doing all kinds of uh, different series. If you like baseball, there's been incredible content that Joe Posnanski and and some of the more prolific ba- writers on the baseball side have have done. We've been able to be creative and 
and connect with former players in college football, you know, typical college football off season in a lot of ways and the stories that we're writing. Um, and uh, we are offering a free 90 days right now for, uh, for new subscribers. So you can go into the athletic.com forward slash free 90 days and you can get 15 months for the price of 12, which is uh, a pretty good deal and, and uh, not too expensive. Oh, I'd highly recommend it. Great stuff. Mitch, always good to hear from you. Glad you and your family are doing well. Stay safe and uh, hope to see you at a press conference or something where we're back uh, covering actual events again soon. Absolutely. Uh, really look forward to, <laughs> to the game. Thanks, Greg. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate. But his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Well, I, I, I fully expected you to reach out to me and say, Greg, I need a vacation. I think I'm just going to go to <laughs> Vegas for 48 hours. I'll be back in 48 hours. But you didn't. Here you are. Plug it away. Well, I don't know if my wife can hear this, but if Carmen Electra was willing to go away with me for 48 or 72 hours, we actually, that's kind of our joke in the house. I think when my wife Nori first met me 15 years or so ago, you know, and everybody, you always give the other person the list. Carmen Electra was number one on my list. So it's fun to see her on Last Dance. And as somebody put it, man, she still has her fastball. She looks great. (laughs) Storytelling was pretty good. And uh, Dennis Rodman uh, was a lucky man. And what does it say about Phil Jackson? (laughs) That a player comes to him and says, hey, I need a vacation. And he says, okay, we can accommodate you. That whole scene, Teddy, where he's walking out of the arena, he chugs a beer, gets on a motorcycle without a helmet, off he goes. And there's no way that happens anymore. Seriously, there's so much wrong in that moment. So many things that that cause us to hit the pause and say, kids, don't do that. Don't ride without a helmet. Don't be drinking. Don't be an idiot. Um, But that was Dennis Rodman. I mean, he truly did things how he wanted to do them. You know, worked with the Pistons when he was semi-normal. Then he went to the Spurs, started acting out. Then he meets Madonna. Madonna becomes, you know, his advisor. And she tells him to just be wild, be yourself. And then with the Bulls, man, he was crazy. And how many teams would give him that rope? Very, very few. But... Uh, the two guys he would listen to, Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan. So when they needed to rein him in and get serious about basketball, those guys would get to it. And perfect guy on the court. I mean, if you're a basketball team, who better than to have a guy who's happy to have three points and 18 rebounds in a game? You've mentioned Phil Jackson. He was the perfect guy for that group. He took over for Doug Collins, who really did a pretty good job. And in one of the earlier episodes, you saw Jordan really raving about his relationship with Collins. Is he bitter about being removed from that position? It was brutal. So I've heard about this from Doug's angle, from his son Chris's angle. Obviously, Chris Collins is the coach in Northwestern. You know, Chris is riding his bike around the Chicago suburbs gets home and sees a bunch of news trucks outside the house and is like, what is going on? So I went back, I I did a story about Doug and I've done some research. I mean, first of all, Stan Albeck was Michael's coach the year. They made the playoffs, even though Michael missed 63 games with that broken foot. Stan got fired. He squeezed off the memorable line. Hey, even the drug, the guys who failed drug tests in the NBA get a second chance. He did not get a second chance. Doug Collins at that point had been a successful player, but had done almost no coaching. He had coached a little bit at Penn and Arizona State. Jerry Krause finds this guy, 
Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf's reaction is, wait, you want to hire the TV guy? That's how unknown he was as a coach. Doug Collins comes in. They immediately win 40 games, then 50 games. They get better every year. Lots of energy. The guy owns Chicago, 35, 36 years old. Michael averages 37-plus a game, and they fire him. Jerry Krause and Reinsdorf take a lot of heat. They don't explain it at all. It turns out that Doug, really kind of an emotional roller coaster, takes losses so hard, is somewhat splitting up the team, not doing well with his coaching staff, not listening to Tex Winter, who devised the triangle. Phil Jackson is on his staff. He sends Phil on the road. Phil's not even at some of, you know, not even coaching at some of the games. So Doug was the guy to take him from C to B. But I got to give the Jerry's credit. They saw Phil Jackson as the guy to take him from B to A, and they were right because Phil is like this. He's so solid. He's emotionally stable. They could lose three in a row, and he's not going to be ranting and raving. And he ended up being the guy to win six championships, of course. Teddy Greenstein is with us from the Chicago Tribune. That, those episodes also dealt a lot with the, the Bulls finally getting over the hump of the Pistons, the bad boys yeah. of Detroit. Well, there was a, I mean, there was a, not a, I mean, nobody shakes hands after those series. That was a big deal, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a New Yorker, so it's not like I'm some Chicago homer. But when I think about that, man, screw the Pistons. I think those guys were terrible for basketball. I mean, in doing some research, I was looking at the final score of some of these games, and they, 75 to 68 was a final score that I saw, you know, 82 to 74. I mean, this was some ugly basketball, even though they had great players and Dumars and Lambeer and, of course, Isaiah and all these guys, Vinny Johnson. But the brand of basketball wasn't very good then, and I'm kind of amazed that David Stern didn't do more to protect Michael. I mean, it's not basketball when one team is saying, oh, cool, whenever the guy penetrates and gets near the rim, knock him down. I mean, they should have been getting ejected. You know, it should have been the flagrant one, flagrant two, the stuff we see now, and that's why – Final scores now are 123 to 118. So Detroit was bad for the game. And I know it's now macho to come out and say, oh, it's cool that they didn't shake hands because they hated each other. No, no, no. I'm like a sportsmanship guy. It's not optional in my world. Like when my girls play soccer, when they're done, it's the handshake line. One of my favorite moments in sports is always at the end of a hockey series when they meet at center ice and slap hands. And that to me is what it's all about. So I really despise the Pistons and the fact that they walked off the court with less than seven seconds to play. That is uh, not acceptable in my world. Well, Teddy, let's talk about the future a little bit. Last Friday, uh, University of Nebraska President Ted Carter came out and said, we are going to have campus open for students in the fall. Since then, Great. Purdue has done that. Today, the Iowa president came out pretty strong saying, we're going to be open in the fall. In fact, our plan is to have student-athletes back on campus June 1st and moving on mm. from here. For those of us who want college football, these are good signs, right? Yes, Greg, those of us who are desperate for both good signs and for college football in the fall – Obviously, athletic directors are right there with us. I mean, football accounts for, what, 75 to 80 percent of these budgets in, at some schools. So on the one hand, you read stuff. You read, you know, Pete Thamel, who's saying college football's only chance is if they have a season in January. And I understand what he's talking about. It probably is the hardest sport to come back because, you know, it's not like – the NFL, where you've got 32 teams and the vast majority of the money is, is tied into TV dollars. So you could see where they say, okay, let's just have it, you know, a TV sport, no fans there. College football is so much about the fans. Plus, obviously, these are students. You have to care about their safety and well-being first and foremost. 
Plus, it's hard to envision if you have 130 D1 football schools that all 130 presidents and ADs are going to say, let's do it. Can you have college football if only four of the leagues are willing to come back? So it's going to be really hard to pull off. But, man, hearing uh, these university presidents say it's going to happen or that there's a good chance that it's going to happen is very encouraging. The other big news of the week was the NCAA seems to be knowing they've got to get on this NIL train and at least yes. put up some parameters. What would you make of Mark Emmert's press conference the other day? It is pretty remarkable, you know, how quickly the NCAA has turned and is saying, go ahead and make, make the money you can off your name, off your social media accounts. And overall, I think this is great. The problem is, how do you keep it out of recruiting? How do you prevent Ohio State coaches from telling players, hey, man, you show up at this auto dealership where uh, we've got an alum right there and you're going to make $10,000 for signing 20 autographs? I I just don't think it's feasible. I asked Jim Phillips, the Northwestern Athletic Director, about that, and he sort of started to say, yeah, you know, it's up to these schools, like an honor code. And then the next breath he said, plus we have to beef up NCAA enforcement. So that part of it is going to be very rough. But what I really like about it, Greg, is this, like I am – totally anti the pay the players crowd because I just don't think there's any way, you know, these guys can be salaried because how do you pay, you know, Zion Williamson compared to a backup guard who plays football in Northwestern compared to a fencer who's at Ohio state. I just don't think it's possible. Plus if they're on salary, I wonder, can, you know, can they be cut? Can they be fined? Can they be traded? So I don't think that's viable. What this does is it kind of, it gets that argument off the hook. Schools are not going to be, nobody's going to say schools should pay these guys because if you are really worth an extra $50,000 a year on the open market from Adidas or Nike or, you know, via social media, you will be able to get that now. So it's a much fairer system in terms of guys being able to get their worth. And hopefully then nobody will say, oh, the, the, the players are being hosed. They should be paid. I think that argument is out the door. Well, it's going to be a fascinating story to follow. It'll get a lot more attention yes. once we get the virus behind us. You mentioned Chris Collins earlier. His name was popping up around the Wake Forest job, which I think they now have filled. But was there much yeah. to that? No, I don't think so. I saw the tweet. I sent it to Chris, and he said, uh, no, there's nothing to that. You know, I think on both sides there's nothing to it. Look, Chris is not ready to go anywhere. He is determined to rebuild Northwestern basketball after three really substandard seasons. He likes the team that he has. He still has, you know, the faith of Jim Phillips and Morty Shapiro, the university president, but also from a Wake Forest point of view. I mean, were they seriously ever going to hire a former Dookie who's coming off three bad seasons? That didn't make any sense to anybody. So his name was thrown out there. But, uh, no, I never believed that that was in the cards. The other night was the deadline to put your name in for the NBA draft. Illinois could get hit a little hard by this. Can Io come back? Is he going to sign with an agent? Io has is on record as saying he is one hundred percent gone. Now I talked to wow. Brad Underwood, and, and Underwood is saying, "Hey, you know, uh, I've told Io it's it's the most stuffed guard uh, draft in twenty years. There's so much talent among the guards, and when you look at uh, the mock drafts, Io." It's, it's more likely that he doesn't get drafted at all than that he's a first-round pick. Likelihood, it's going to be a second-round pick. But I just think his mindset was such that he wanted to be one and done. So when he commits to going back for his sophomore year, he has the mentality that that's it. And he had a very good season. I mean, he's, he's a good player. He's got length. He's got quickness. He's a good defender. Not a great shooter yet, but what says he can't, be, you know, what says he can't become a great shooter if he's willing to work at it? So I think he's an NBA player. 
the one that's going to be interesting is the big man, Kofi Coburn, because how many, you know, 6'11 guys are in the NBA now, these traditional back-to-the-basket guys, and he's really not even a good finisher around the rim. So if he thinks he's going to be in the NBA next year or making a lot of money anywhere in professional basketball, I think he's completely fooling himself. He should come back, and uh, I think he's got a little more time to make that decision. Speaking of drafts, how would you feel like your Jets fared in the uh, NFL draft? Yeah, J-E-T-S. Uh, I, I guess they got a big enough uh, man in the first round. Uh, back to 364 pounds. His dad looks like he's about 464 pounds, so I guess that was encouraging. That was a really good pick. And then they got Mims, uh, the wide receiver out of Baylor there. So, uh, man, I want to see Sam Darnold uh, go into the season with some bullets because last year he, sh- he showed great times, but then there was that horrible New England game on a Sunday or Monday night when he was uh, said he was seeing ghosts. So get him some <laughs> protection, get him some receivers, and maybe the Jets will actually have a decent season. All right, very good. Have a great week. We'll look forward to talking to you again next Thursday. Thank you, Greg. Take care, man. Be well. It's summer. The Huskers are sharpening their skills with seven-on-seven drills. We're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the offseason with some seven-on-seven of our own. Seven topics. A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back. From sports. From Manning, seven touchdown passes. To pop culture. I never joke about my work, 007. It's time to go seven-on-seven on Sports Nightly. I kind of feel like this is a, a passing of the torch. The baton is being passed from Josh and I on the SNBL today to you two tomorrow. Nice. Right. Well done. Nice little transition segment for us here at the All HSN. Who's, who's the, do we have the lineup for tomorrow? Who, I need to do some prep work tonight. <laughs> we, we can do. work on finding it somewhere. I got it right here. <laughs> it, it's somewhere. We have it. We've got the, uh, let's see, rowboats. And Orioles. Oh my god. That'll gosh. be a slaughter. Chalk it up. Oh. Alright, we got Greg Terriers hosting the farmers. Oh baby. Ooh. Oh baby. Intrigue. Back at Hickman. And I was in Hong Kong today. <laughs> speaking of country jumping, we have the Blue Jays and the Lions. Slightly different trip there. Slightly. Yeah. <laughs> the Lions have just on man, they're hurting, hurting, hurting. See if they can get her turned around against old Toronto tomorrow. Well, we are not hurting because we're here in 7-on-7. We're going to jump right into it. So late last week, there was some news that Kawhi Leonard of the Los Angeles Clippers had lost his lawsuit against Nike. He said that Nike had unlawfully copyrighted his claw logo. A U.S. district judge ruled that Nike's logo was distinct from the logo that Leonard originally came up with. In the spirit of that circumstance, which athletes have done the best job branding themselves and which athlete has your favorite logo or brand? two guys right it's mj and tiger mm-hmm. right i mean those mm-hmm. are the best in, in all time those two fellows yeah lebron's inching his way up there but it there's those two have a sizable gap i mean yeah there's yeah. a now brett might throw in a messe or somebody from the soccer world but those two in the sports that we talk about all the time are light years ahead of anybody kobe's up yeah there. who is yeah kobe yeah um yeah, definitely. It's Jordan, like, on his own. And then Tiger yes. Woods right behind, um, you know, probably on the last turn behind, and then they've lapped the field. <laughs> like, that's yeah. that's yeah. how sizable it is. And if I'm picking between the two, do, 
Do they still make Jordan Air Jordan shoes? Yeah, Zion just signed with them. Okay, so he and still has a brand with, with Nike of that. Okay. Oh yeah. mm-hmm. There's more and more Jordan colleges, like Michigan. In Michigan. And, Georgetown. You know, yeah, Georgetown, obviously North Carolina. Gag. Um, <laughs> man, I probably I probably <laughs> own more Jordan stuff than I do Tiger Woods stuff. Also, Brett just texted me and said Roger Federer. Hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, he's a ways back, though, from those two guys. Right. I do have a pair of Tiger Woods golf shoes that are super comfortable, though. And I've never been a huge Jordan shoe guy, but I'm actually wearing a pair of Jordan shorts right now. That's just because you don't like Carolina, Austin. That's not because. It's because I think the shoes are iconic for fashion, but they're not basketball shoes. I had a pair of Jordan cleats once, and they were terrible. Baseball cleats. Yeah. Wouldn't recommend. (laughs) Fair enough. All right, let's jump into topic number two. Earlier this week, the Pentagon declassified three videos that had previously been released by a private company. The videos contained unidentified flying objects, and according to previous interviews with the pilots who shot the footage, the UFOs, quote, moved like a ping pong ball. So do you guys believe that these videos mean extraterrestrial life is out there? And also, what do you make of all those drones flying around the region, uh, around this region of the country a couple months ago? We're going right from this coronavirus to being invaded. That's exactly what I mean. That's what's coming up next is this. The, the, here come the aliens. Yep. Coming <laughs> Look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I don't think there's like green aliens with big black eyes on another planet or something. But I have seen suspicious stuff in the sky yep. before. Yeah. So I'm not one of those like telescope maniacs that are out there, you know. I don't have any great grand theories of what I see, but I know what's normal. I know what's an airplane. I know what's a hot air balloon, and I know it was none of the above. So, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what that means. I'm, Brett is coming with receipts here. He continued to do some digging <laughs> from the last question, and he showed me an article that said Roger Federer has earned $85 million based on his endorsements and his brand, where Tiger Woods is at $54 million. Which is mind endorsements are different than brands, though. That's different. Yeah. Right. Come on, Brett. We also, though, have a different view of it here because, like, maybe globally, Roger Federer has a bigger brand, but we just have like Tiger is obviously just a completely different story from our perspective. Okay, I'm not over the but, UFO thing. Like, no, I need yeah. more. <laughs> Let's go back to that, Brett. I need more opinions. Us. I'm the only one that threw out my opinion. Greg. No, I, I'm with Ben. There's, I mean, I'm not. I think that there we're not alone in this world. I think there's stuff out there, and I, I agree. There's stuff that you can't explain, and but they obviously they wouldn't have released these videos unless they they have some kind of idea what it is. Don't you think? Yeah. I don't think the Navy or the Pentagon releases these well, unless they, they kind of know what it was. The reasoning they said in the release of like when they released it, they said that the videos were already out there, and the reason why they like declassified them is because they didn't want people to be throwing out anything else like oh is this actually real is it is it not is there more than this like they so they're saying this is it this is what is out there we're not hiding anything else this is it so i yeah there's i 
it's interesting because I, I there there has to be so many other things besides this. This just happened to be three short videos that happened to leak out, and I'm sure that the government has. I mean, and again, I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> there has to be so many other things that the government has that that Area 51. No, it's all right, hidden we have there. No idea. So are we are are we all pro team UFO? Like, I'm not talking like you know spacecraft. Like you were to draw a UFO playing Pictionary, like it can be a different looking thing, but there's weird stuff in the sky. Are we all in agreement on that? I sure. can agree. I, I feel I feel like the, these videos too are the the aliens response to MJ, where he releases this doc as soon as LeBron's over or set to overtake him. Now the angel like, no, we don't want Michael stealing our thunder, and yet they still have. You've have barely heard about these UFOs. You're just talking about the last dance. Are we uh, put- while we're on the subject of weird stuff? Yeah. Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. Yes, no. Oh, God. Bigfoot's name is Daryl, <laughs> if you've seen the progressive commercials. Yeah. I'm going to say, I don't know. I feel like nah. there's a Twitter poll in here somewhere of, like, which one of these do you believe <laughs> Are you guys, most? like, scared like, to give your opinions because people are going to get yes, mad at you? Yes, we are. What, there's a lot of people listening, Ben. I am, uh, I'm 50-50 on Bigfoot, and... And I'm all in on Nessie. I mean, how I met your mother has con- <laughs> Marshall has convinced me that Nessie Nessie is a thing. That's right. That was a episode or two of How I Met Your Mother, wasn't it? It's an yeah, ongoing pretty thing. Pretty clearly debunked the the whole Loch Ness monster thing. It's around. It's somewhere. Potentially still in Loch Ness, perhaps. One thing we can all agree on, though, Tom Brady, we, we dislike him, but he makes it into 7-on-7 seven seven again this week. So on Twitter yesterday, Ohio State's Brutus Buckeye account posted a video of Brady saying, stay safe, everyone, and let's go Bucks." The tweet was captioned saying, a quick PSA from an old friend. So while some might think that Brady has turned his allegiances to his alma mater's biggest rival, he was really just talking about his new NFL team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But let's play this out for a moment. Pretend that Brady has become a closet Ohio State fan. What college team do you secretly cheer for? Georgia. I've I've cheered for Georgia for years, and it's not like I'm a fan of theirs. It's just they're one of the only SEC teams I can tolerate. And they're becoming less and less tolerable every year. <laughs> but I'll still I'll say Georgia. Yeah, you guys better be careful with this. If either of you say Iowa or somebody like that, you're gonna you're gonna hear it. Well, you we know Austin's a Duke guy. Well, that's not secret. Yeah. That's out in the open. Right. Yeah, I don't know that I really openly cheer for anybody. I, I mean, I, I I didn't mind Georgia with Mark Richt. I thought he was a really good guy. I met him a couple times. I kind of liked them. We played them in a couple of bowl games. I didn't mind the Georgia football program. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, um, a lot of times I find myself latching on to teams that are playing against ones yeah, oh that yeah. I hate. Like, no no offense against Austin here, but, like, if Duke's playing in the NCAA tournament, You're pulling if they're playing somebody that I don't mind, then that's now my favorite team. <laughs> Notre Dame <laughs> so, is, is one of those ones either you are in or you're out on Notre Dame. Right. Yeah, Man, I guess I'm the only one throwing out opinions tonight. <laughs> I guess so. I threw out my Duke opinion. That, that counts. Yeah. All right. Well, this one's topic number four. You guys are going to have to get throw something out. We're going to make you put a okay. name out here. So topic number four. Earlier this week, Orlando Magic power forward Aaron Gordon dropped a diss track to express his frustration over the dunk contest from a couple months ago. 
His song was titled 9 Out of 10, and in it he calls out Dwayne Wade for the vote that helped him to a loss against Derek Jones Jr. of the Miami Heat in the dunk contest. So what other athlete do you think should do a diss track for another athlete? Or you can go back and do a former athlete, guys that have a grudge against each other. Also, who would you want to do this to write a song about a a diss track, if you will? I would want about Ahead, I would ben. want LeBron to do it to Draymond Green. <laughs> That's what I would want to have happen. <laughs> or any athlete to do it against Draymond Green. I mean, the the Mike we, we we're living reliving the Michael Jordan Isaiah Thomas spat that's still going. Even Isaiah came out earlier this week and said he wouldn't have Jordan in his top three players of all time. <laughs> that seemed a little out there. Who would I write one for? Yeah, who's your least favorite athlete that you would just can't stand and you want to write something about it there is so many athletes on that list for me like i don't like i get i get anxiety just thinking of just one never been a big philip rivers guy sorry austin i know he's your quarterback i've never been a big philip rivers guy (laughs) i'm still not a big philip rivers guy yeah that i mean he's in the top 10 for sure he's on my list a guy that i just like truly despise and it's like it's like super random name, but Carlos Quinton. Like, I really hate that guy. Oh, like, yuck. So, <laughs> I guess I would write my diss track on Carlos Quinton. It's fair. I feel I'm, like a pretty right obvious one is Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm, there you really? go. Yes. That got violent. Yeah. <laughs> it literally. It was, they skipped the diss track and went straight yeah. to chapter 10. Yeah. Get out the steel pipe. I feel like that's a good top ten list. Most hated athletes of all time. Like I Ooh, absolutely mark it down for Tuesday. I would need I would need some research. There's got to be some yeah. boxers in there, right? I mean, I Tom mean, Brady's on there even. Like I, I just don't like him. Is Period. Floyd May- Mayweather or one of no, some like that in there? No, it doesn't really bother me. I, I mean, I don't like his fighting style, but there there are a lot of other guys on that list for me. Like I could do I could do just baseball even. Yep, no doubt. Josh knows a lot of them. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, I feel like we've already done this just privately, our top ten list of yeah, most hated athletes. Right. So. <laughs> All right, Ben, how high is Brett Laurie on your list? Um, Not a name I think of a ton, but there was a, there was like a 365-day vendetta for me against Brett Laurie that Jose Bautista as well. Josh Donaldson's not very well liked. No, but he's a bra- he was a brave, so I've – you know, as the great Harry Doyle once said, it's amazing how a change of uniform can change your opinion about a <laughs> <Yes>. guy. <laughs> exactly. All right. Topic number five. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir publicly apologized to a resident oh. of his state earlier this week after calling him out about unemployment fraud at a press conference. The resident in question is named Tupac Shakur, so you can see why Governor Bashir might have thought it was a fake name trying to get an unemployment check. So we ask you if you could pick any celebrity name to steal, which one would you want to have? <laughs> I read that story. That's pretty funny. Man, pick a celebrity name. Yeah. Like, to me, it would it would make a difference if you looked like him, too. Like, right. you know, right. like if, if you were some sort of doppelganger. Um, yeah, like, I just for like Brad Pitt. I don't look like Brad Pitt. Yeah, just for, like, yeah. pure namesake. Are we talking, are we talking just name. athlete or, or just celebrity? celebrity? Any celebrity. Either. Either or. Yeah, it could be, it could be either or. Man, that's a great question. Um. God, I don't know. Um, I it, it it'd be fun to to 
to name yourself as a former athlete. And people wouldn't yeah. know. You could say, oh, I played football, college football somewhere or yeah. college baseball. I mean, to me, it's got to be a like a just a like a Coco Crisp type name. Yeah. You know, like like a name that's just There's nobody else. Yep. So iconic. And you're like, that's yes. made up. And you're like, no, it yeah. isn't. It's really my name. <laughs> No, that's the thing is like, even if you don't look like that person, you, you know, your name is officially that, like you get right. the mail people, the person delivering your mail has to be like, like wait a second. How many this? Michael Jordans are there? There's a lot, oh, right? Yeah, there has to be. That's, be. that's why Ben's right. You have to pick somebody who has a unique name and, and go with I that. I mean, like but. Tiger Woods would be. Sure. Yep. Would be a good one even. There are exactly. 3,200 people in the United States named Michael Jordan. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. All right, next topic here. A couple days ago, a video surfaced of uh, Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford performing some crazy math skills. In the video, a teammate asked him what 9,758 times 618 would equal, and Stafford nailed the answer in a matter of seconds. So do you guys have any hidden talents? I'm guessing math isn't one of them, but maybe it is. I mean, I've I've seen Nate do long division on this program before. Yeah. <laughs> Does he but, I mean, he's it writing out? it down. Staff, oh, Stafford it. Yeah, did it. writes it out. Just did Stafford it in his head. It in his head, yes. Photographic memory. That's what that's got to be for him to be able to do. Yep. Hidden. T- no, no. I don't have any. No. I'm an open like, book, what, guys. What, <laughs> there's nothing hidden here. What What about what Like what describes a talent? Like, Well, I mean, like like juggling. Nobody knows that I can juggle, but I can I can do that. Like that, I, That's a, probably a lame one, but something along those lines. I used to play like, a pretty I, mean saxophone, but I haven't picked oh, one up. there you go. I didn't know that, so there you go. I, I wouldn't call myself like a talented hitter or anything, but like I could hit a ball pretty far. Yeah. I don't know if that I, I don't know if that's hidden though. Like we know that you uh, most people know that you like baseball, I think. Or I, played to some I guess extent. card tricks. Like I know a few card oh. tricks. There you cool. go. But I'm not like, like I'm not like Barney Stinson, another how I met your mother reference when it comes to magic. <laughs> what are you watching that right now or what? I'm not actually. I haven't watched that show in months, but I guess it's on the brain. Nice. <laughs> All right, we'll close out seven on seven with this one. A one thousand year old flour mill in England has been put to good use during this recent COVID nineteen pandemic. Located in southwest England, the Sturminster Newton Mill had been turned into a museum back in the 1970s after the mill had been operational for a thousand years. After a flower shortage came up in England over the past few weeks, the mill turned from a museum back to producing flour, turning out over a ton of flour, 2,000 pounds, in the last couple of weeks. What's something that's been retired from use that you'd like to see up and running again? I, wow, those are my mind hard ones tonight. Yeah, this is this is tough. My mind immediately goes to like ballparks. So like in the SNBL, we've been seeing games in like yeah. the Polo Grounds and Shide Park. So obviously those places have been demolished for the most part, but still to resurrect those and, and see an old like the old like fashioned scoreboards, cool. Josh, where the the manual yeah. run scoreboards where you guys are hanging the numbers up there. Exactly. That might that might drive people crazy though. They. <laughs> This is this is not going on Flix picks later, but I have been watching some American pickers lately, and just give me like like appliances how they were made back in the day. You know, like when when you go buy a refrigerator now, they're like, oh, this should last you eight to twelve years. Back in the '60s, if you bought a refrigerator, you're handing that baby down to your grandkids. Like mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. what I want back. You remember those little handheld football games that you oh, could. Yeah. You would now they're a little bit bigger than like a cell phone. But I, when I was a kid, we used to have those. And those were fun. You'd be on the bus and stuff, and you could be playing with those things. And I know now you can do it on your phone. But 
I wouldn't mind having one of those back in my Greg, hands. Greg, they got like PSPs and what are those things called, Austin? Like Nintendo Switches. Yeah, you can Switches, play those yeah. games in HD. It's, it's all about nostalgia, though. You know, doing yeah, it on the, the, old the real back one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah thinking, I, I'm with Greg here. I get that's. I was thinking about that too. Like just some old games that I had as a kid that. Yeah. You know that they don't really make them anymore. So we'd be riding the bus to some basketball games. And we'd all have those little toy things, and we'd be playing. Yeah. And let me try yours. Okay, here's mine. You can play mine for a while. Set the high score on someone. I'm gonna get real yeah. nostalgic and go with the three and a half millimeter jack on the iPhone. Not a lightning guy. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. There you go. Agreed. Good. All right. Well done, boys. Man, those are some ones to give you a lot of thought there. Now we know Ben's thoughts about UFOs, too, that's out there for everybody to, to hang with as well. No sports on this weekend? We've got you covered. I know everything about film. I've seen over 240 of them. Time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! Okay, let's see what's on everybody's uh, palette this week. Ben, let's start with you. Yeah, my first one is uh, is something that's unexpected. My wife was watching this show, and I don't typically get into the shows that she watches, but I noticed myself laughing at it quite a bit, so I started watching it, and actually, it's actually not terrible. It's a Netflix show called The Ranch with Ashton Kutcher and oh, yeah. Alicia Cuthbert. Um, Sam Elliott. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, Sam Elliott. It's, it's my type of humor, which makes it funny, a lot of sarcasm, um, and, you know, just – it's seek it's secretly funny so i've been you know it's not a show that you need to have your full attention like ozark or anything like that you can just have it on the back burner so that's my recommendation cool boston i'm still going through brooklyn 99 it's on my docket to watch uh disgrace a showtime documentary about dave bliss down at baylor so that's on my docket for the week to come so you've not started Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I have. I'm through just over a season right now. You and Josh both getting picked up on that. Nice. I'm, I'm, I'm current on that show. I love it. Yep. All right. I mentioned last week that I was going to watch Rookie of the Year. I did watch it. And, Ben, you were right. It probably was a movie that I would have enjoyed more if I had watched it, you know, 20 years ago. But it was, it was okay. I think it followed a very similar path to the movie Little Big League, which is about the same time period. And I think I like that one better because it involved the twins. So mm -hmm. um, still not a bad bad movie at all. Um, I'm going to start watching, or not start watching, I'm going to watch later tonight, uh, Parks and Rec Reunion tonight. It's, I'm, we're DVRing yeah. it. I think it's on right now. So I'll go it back is. and watch that later tonight. Very good. Uh, I am up current with The Blacklist coming down the stretch for its season finale. It's really good. You know, the producer, that's from Carney. I've been a big fan of the Blacklist for a while, and I didn't mention this a couple weeks ago, but we did watch the Modern Family finale about two weeks ago, and they really did a nice job wrapping that series up after 11 seasons on the air on ABC. All right, good work, guys. Well, fun hour, huh? Lots to think yeah. about in there with that extraterrestrial stuff, Ben. Aliens and Modern Family in one hour? I think we covered the gamut. We, we did. Tomorrow... SNBL starts at 11 a.m. I'll be along with Ben for the ride for that. Come join us, sit in the chat room, and have some fun with us tomorrow night. Our greatest games, the first Husker win in the Big Ten Conference over Ohio State. Our Sports Highly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. That's a wrap on this hour of Sports Highly.